Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. But of course, here's the catch. Each one of us is sitting in a chair dealing with a different part of the Christian apologetic. Uh, to my left, I have Miss Nikki. How are you? I'm very good. How are you today? Doing well. Glad to have you on. You're sitting in the chair of? Theology. Theology. Very good. Dealing with the reason why we believe what we believe. Sola Scriptura. We want to make sure that we're going back to the reason we do everything and always, always make sure that your reason is based on a biblical concept, which moves us very well over to the chair of philosophy. How are you, sir? Mr. Charlie. We are doing great. Happy, uh, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you too, sir. So sitting in the chair of philosophy, bringing the intellectual rigor that the Christian must uh, bring to their faith. It's going to be an interesting one today. We're talking about a lot of German philosophers and uh, European atheism. So, and to his left, we have uh, Daniel. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? Doing good. Glad good to have to you here. on. Sitting it's in the chair of culture. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's been chair a while. It's a too. pleasure to have you back on. First time chair holder. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. First time you've been in that chair. So with that said, going to deal with the Christian counterculture and the culture that the world has developed. And of course, to his left, we have Mr. Steve. How are you, Mr. Steve? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you today, John Arthur. Glad to have you in the chair of politics. Government is a God-ordained institution. We must make sure that we defend it. And remember, you're defending your inheritance. Remember, if you live in the United States or in the West in general, you've inherited a prosperity. And that was not for your personal pleasure in this world all alone. I mean, hey, it's nice to have nice things. But you're here for the gospel's sake and to be gospel-minded. And Chair of Economics, yours truly sitting here in the Chair of Economics, John Arthur Fiala, dealing with the values of this world, not just the economy of this world, but the next. This is going to be an interesting topic today. And... Let me kind of start off with, we're not talking about social justice just yet, and I, and I don't want this to be too wonkish. I hope this doesn't bore y'all, but to understand how we got here, it's good to understand, or before we des describe where we are, it's good to understand how we got here. Good to describe the philosophers and the thought processes that brought us to this point. Um, have any of y'all heard of the Frankfurt School before today? Anyone in this room? Let us know in the comment, comment right now, if you've heard of the Frankfurt School before today. It's one of the most influential uh, uh, mechanisms in Western society since the 1920s when it began. And it picked up an interesting uh, mantle, if you will. Uh, it was founded in 1923 after World War I. It was largely influenced by the works of Freud, Marx, and Hegel as well as other philosophers of the 19th century. Mark, uh, or Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno, uh, Herbert Marcuse, and a few others were the, the leading minds of this Frankfurt School. And they believed that mass culture, and subsequently what we know today as popular culture, should, according to them, be rescued from the stigma of crude banality into a valuable and worthy expression of real-world experience. Does anyone care to try to unpack that? That, that, that is an incredible statement. Do, I mean, do, do you want to try to unpack that? I don't know as I do right at this moment. Okay, because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. But I'm going to say... This has, if you wonder what's wrong with the Oscars, 
you wonder what's wrong with the intellectuals of today, it goes back to the critical theorists who started in the 1920s and really went crazy on our culture. By the way, uh, critical theorists who fled Germany, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, they set about the task of reevaluating Marx's theory in light of the capitalist structure did not dissolve. Does that help you unpack that statement any further? We, the intellectuals, have seen that you, the masses, have not risen up because of popular culture, Christianity being part of that, and we have not been able to remake the world in our image. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun ride. It's going to be a fun ride. I, I, I see a little bit of elitism here in some of that statement. I smell elitism. Smells kind of strong to me. And it stinketh. Pew. It stinketh much. Yeah. So let's go ahead and go in a little bit further. miles away. Exactly. Let's go further down the rabbit hole. What, what this produced was legal theory, which has three prominent branches that we're all familiar with today. And this is why we're talking about it today. Le legal theory bred critical race theory, gender theory, post-colonialism, and some would argue feminism. Well, those are the three hot topics, and I'm excluding feminism. Obviously, feminism was huge in the 60s and 70s um, and really gained a lot of traction in the 70s. But when you talk about those other three, the critical race theory, gender theory, and, and post-colonialism, you can't walk anywhere into the midst of a, I'm going to describe it as a woke group, and not hear those terms. You'll definitely hear them. I think what's interesting about the statement, too, the uh, according to them, be rescued from the stigma of crude banality into a valuable and worthy expression of real-world experience. You are asking, do you want to really try to unpack that? One of the things that I find in that statement is that, to me, it's, um, it's contradicting. Yes. In a, in a major way. You're, you're basically saying you don't, you don't know what real world experience is, we do, or we're going to define it for you. We're going to define our version of reality. So yeah. I, I kind of want to throw this around the room because to, to, you, you brought out a point. Yeah, and I want to say one more thing. And I, I love what, what Del Tackett says in his study. Um, um, the Truth Project. The Truth Project. Reality is seen from God's eyes. That's where, where reality comes from. So let's, let's put that to the chair of theology for just a moment. I want to ask you this. You're, you're looking at a group of human philosophers, by the way, the same root and branch at, as what created the eugenics movement in Germany and all of the horrors that we saw in World War II and the future communism as we're going to establish. But you have man saying, popular culture, and they will specifically dig in on Christianity on multiple points. Isn't this the same battle that's always been waged? Yes. It, Yea hath it God is. said. I'm sorry? Yea hath God said. Yes. Uh, you know, the thing is, um, when you read about World War II in Germany, um, many people in the church, remember there was a state church. The church was going into schools and teaching young kids at that time. And, and there, it was a, an accepted thing. Now, 
I'm not going to say that it was a revival. I'm going to say it was an accepted experience, part of my culture. And a lot of times in that culture, you don't see that it becomes a routine. Yes. And so then it just becomes part of the norm, but without any victory. And so it can, be, it can turn people off because there's nothing to it. And it makes it really easy for people like this to come in and say, hey, we got to change this up because people are just going through the motions and there's not a relationship that's being built. And that's exactly a nail on the head. I mean, it's a wrap. She, she, she just got to the end there. When you have chair philosophy, when you have institutional decay and you have an institution, although it might have once pulled its weight, fulfilled its telos, its purpose, now it's no longer pulling that weight or that telos, that purpose. What's going to creep in? What philosophy? And what does it breed? Would you say nihilism and oh, then humanism? Absolutely. And that's exactly what we see in our, in our culture today is a, a lot of nihilistic thought. And, and I, I suspect that will get much worse. And what it's going to do, you're going to see this in mental health. That's, that's where it's going to really... Um, what do I want to say? It, it's it's going to show itself. And we're already seeing that. Increases in suicides. Um, Antidepressants. In, yeah. I go back to um, a, a case here in Houston that was, it, it still is. It's unbelievable what happened. But this man who works in downtown Houston uh, a week or so ago, walked in, into an office building um, and shot his boss and walked right back out as if nothing had happened, was arrested a short time later, acting as if, oh yeah, I was expecting you. It, I don't want to say it's out-of-body experiences or anything like that, but it, it gets so crazy that you're thinking destruction, 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 and not just of the world in general but of you as a person. I think that's what we're going to see a lot more of. Because you've, you've lost your tether to what is critical. You, you've lost your tether as to what is reality. What is truth. Yes, yes. So that, that does something to the culture, and, and you're kind of slipping over to the culture chair a little bit. I was there. trying to push it there. I want to, I, exactly, and it's a good, it's a good tea I up. appreciate that, John. good <laughs> tea up. So I, I want to get the chair of culture's opinion in just a moment, but you, you, you'll see that this nihilism and arises out of post-humanism and humanist thought. And where we see this, the rubber meeting the road in our culture is people no longer value life. They no longer value family. How does, what does that have an impact on, on the nuclear family? What does it have an impact on, on how we value life? Oh yeah, absolutely. So like the second that you step away from the faith, the second that you're like, okay, no, no Christianity. That you you go into this sort of uh, what's what's the term I'm looking for? It's like it's like conscious dissonance. Yeah, where you take human life, and you're like, okay, so because we do not have a creator, because we are just accidents, happy little accidents, as Bob Ross would put it. You know. You, you, you kind unhappy little accidents. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you kind of just, you take humanity and you shove it into this little 
box where it's like, okay, so because that's just a clump of cells, abortion. Okay, uh, because they're old, we don't need them anymore. Uh, because you lost your usefulness to the culture at large, you are no longer needed. And before someone says that this is some sort of straw man argument, what did we see in the 1930s in Germany from the same root and stew that the Frankfurt School came from? Absolutely. I mean, you, you saw, uh, you, a, a lot of people don't realize this, but you, you got to look to, uh, whenever you're thinking about World War II, you got to look back to the 30s and 20s uh, as to Hitler didn't just wake up one day and was like, oh, we don't like Jews. And everyone else was just like, oh, yeah, we don't like Jews either. There was this entire argument that, that he had that used plethora of different things, ra racism, of course, uh, against the Jewish uh, culture. You also have uh, stuff like uh, uh, cleanliness. Like, okay, uh, you know how we're sick? Yeah, that's because of the Jews. Absolutely. So they made it a health issue. They made it a uh, long-term issue for your children because your children's bloodline will be contaminated. Which, by the way, I mean, the health issue. A money sounds thing, familiar, big time. Sounds familiar. And also, again, it became, a, it became a class war, too. And it was the Jews and their gold. And there, there's this whole blood libel, or libel that came out. And so, what, but that all starts when you deny the authority of the standard giver or the lawgiver, when you deny the authority of an overarching structure, and we're going to watch how this goes, we're going to see how we came to the point of social justice, because next time we're going to speak about social justice. But before we got there, again, I, I hope it's not too boring for y'all, but it's really important. Learn your history because you're bound to repeat it if you don't. We're going to watch how the Frankfurt School started and where it kind of came from. We're not, we're not going to get too far into the nitty-gritty of uh, uh, where Adorno went to school and where uh, uh, Max came from, all, all these people. We're not, we're not going to go into the depths of their personal backgrounds, but their philosophy. So going over to the political chair, you start to see this lack of value for the human being, this devaluation of the human creature, and a revocation of God's authority in the governmental structure, what does that enable the government to do? Enables the government to take advantage, for one thing. Uh, enables the government to, let's say, grease the squeaky wheel, so to speak, which happens uh, like, what is that, every 10, 15 years, some organization arises something comes up blm antifa um whoever it may be at the time whatever organization comes up it starts making and and they typically one percent or zero point five percent of the population but they make lots and lots of noise so what happens? It could be the smallest part that's on the automobile, something that doesn't going to make a lot of damage, doesn't need to be replaced, but guess what? It makes a lot of noise. It bothers you. You got to rattle in your car. So what are you going to do? You're going to get rid of it because it bothers you. And all too often. So you're going to do something about it. 
let's look for one thing. What has happened? All of a sudden, this woke culture has occurred. CRT has come up, and well, it hasn't been. And sudden, Charlie mentioned feminism. Years. Anybody hear about feminism lately? Anybody hear what's happening? What's happened to that? It's Nobody still, hears about it's still, it, that order. I, I was going to say, it's, it, still, it's still there. Anymore. It, it's still there, but it's not what's helping push the narrative. So you don't, you don't hear it outrightly spoken, but it's there. It's there. But where's these women that's been standing up for women's they're rights? Make, they're, all making over. A, they're making they're, a choice. They're, they're, ma they're making a choice. They're, they're biding their time because it's a woke cu culture. And they know if they step out and and say something, they'll be shouted down. So some of them are not agreeing with this. Now's not but the time to squeak. That's what they're. That's what they're rattle. doing. And, mm -hmm. and and so that's really where where it comes down to is is you have people who are ultimately useful idiots, as Marx would have called them, and 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 they get left by the wayside. And you want to look at Black Lives Matter. That's what's happening with them. Uh, they're now starting to say, wait a minute, you, you've taken my money, you've taken my resources, but you've done nothing for me. And that's where it comes down to. It's always about a power dynamic to bring in the utopia. Utopia at any cost. Yes. And that right there is the issue. And the cost is a human cost, chair of economics speaking here. It will be your, it will be your wealth. It'll be your lives, but it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be both. There's an, there's an economic side to this. You will eventually give everything over to the government. And as we talked about last week in 1 Samuel, when the people said, give us a king, give us a king, yeah. what was the cost? What did God say the cost would be? Boy, and that, that is a beautiful lineup to scripture right there. That is a very sobering piece of scripture that we're talking about. When, when they were asking for a king, and God said, yep, you can have one, and you make sure you let them know this is what the result is going to be, and right. it is spelled out clearly. And so let's, let, let's kind of go a little bit further into the, the quagmire here, because we, before we get to the Frankfurt School, which is really the direct impactor of our society today, and it hasn't been just now, it's been since the 70s that it's been in our schools, but since the 20s and 30s, they've worked 100 years to get the, to this point, and they have not hidden it. They've said, by one way or the other, we will do this. And the thing is, is church, it's here, and it's been coming for 100 years. And I think, John Arthur, the reason for that is we, we've been, one, ignorant. We've been too lazy with regards to studying um, our history. And three, we've kind of taken a laissez-faire attitude toward it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's, the, that's the problem, is that we've traded our inheritance for a bowl of yeah. lentils. And I, I don't want to eisegesis the daylights out of that, that scripture. In other words, put my own interpretation on that scripture, but I think it applies. Absolutely. When when you say I just want to live a quiet life with my family and my raise my children, yes, you are called to do that, and you should do that. And that does not mean that you forsake your inheritance and you let the thief come and destroy it. You have to find a way to do both. Liberty's not easy. 
but John Arthur, doesn't this all really get back to what is the what is the purpose of my life? Four key questions. What is the meaning and purpose of life? That's one of them. That's a question that we all ask about in our lifetime at least once, and it's it's a it's a very important question to answer, folks. If you're out there and you've you've asked that question and you haven't come to an answer. Can I just say from from the, the the chair of philosophy, don't don't stop. You need to find that. You need to find the meaning and purpose of life. Now I'm going to tell you from a theological perspective, it should come from the Bible, but the point is you you've got to find it. That's an answer that that cannot go that that's a question that cannot go unanswered. Correct. So let's go a little bit further and let's let's dig into where these guys got their beliefs. And and two of the, you know, we can talk about Nietzsche, we can talk about all these other people, Nietzsche, but uh, uh, I think Freud and Marx are good enough for this conversation. Uh, Freud, what did he believe? Well, if, and it, there's a lot of ad hominem about Freud, so I want to be careful how I tiptoe here. So I'm going to try to quote quote him. It's a rough quote. Uh, but he was of the opinion that God's plan for sexuality was restrictive. If I can, if I can kind of roughly sum up, you know, why are why is polyamory wrong? Why is homosexuality wrong? Why is underage affection wrong? Why are these things wrong if they bring personal pleasure? And this has led, and it, it quickly created the ground. Or the Frankfurt School, the wide stream, mainstream acceptance of this in the uh, uh, European arena created the Frankfurt School's ripe fertile ground for critical gender theory. And it only takes 150 years to pervert it. But I, I don't want to bog down on this point too far. I, I want to kind of be quick about it. But chair of theology, what would Satan, the enemy of our souls, have to gain by perverting our view of the family and of sexuality. Well, when you when you take away the structure of the family, that is the strength. That's the strength of the church, really. That's the beginning strength. It's your your family, your your church, your nation. I mean, that's the way it goes. Um, and so, when that structure is broken down, people don't function as well. A broken home. Children from a broken home have broken hearts. Women from broken homes, men from broken homes, they have broken hearts. And broken hearts need to have some sort of mending or distraction. And so this can be a good way for it. And I, I do want to say that um, about Freud, one of the things that uh, I, I remember reading about Freud was he was very much about the sexuality. You know, he was, during that time, cocaine was used. Yes. Very legally, and he used it. And I know there was a, he wrote about how he was so, would be dating his girlfriend, and he was on cocaine, and he was so aroused during the whole time. So you can see where his mental, his mental thoughts were, Correct. and he's working into this theology on his own. But you don't have a church. The, the questions that he's asking are not bad questions. No, they're, they're actually really good questions, but you just said it. You don't have a church that's willing to deal with the philosophical And in questions. that day and time, you didn't talk about those things. And this is where Freud had, I mean, if you study him, you'll have where women would come in and then he decided that, 
you know, girls had desires for their fathers and because this woman would have a dream. And so that was really his focus. Yes. And he was doing it outside of a scriptural basis. He wanted to make sense of what he saw, although he was unwilling to accept the conclusions. That's true. But I'm sure there was, maybe there was somebody who could stand up and, and show why the scripture is the way it is with sexuality, why there's limitations. It's not to prevent you from joy. It is to protect you from destruction. From self-harm, really. Yes. So chair of philosophy, <laughs> what would the enemy of our souls have to gain by destroying our view of the family? Because there's a, th- there's a theological tenet, but there's a very deep thought tenet to what that image is supposed to bear out. So, and obviously you're alluding there to what, what Jesus had really, God had really shown is the important aspect of living a, a Christian life that was family. And the, what they gain, what, what Satan gains in this, is control. He's removed a hurdle to gaining control. Um, I, I think the best way to really illustrate this is a, a divided house cannot stand. Can I word it like that? Yeah, and, and, and even a step further. A house that's not built on the blueprints that the architect made. Amen. Amen. And 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 why 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 was why does that house have a plan? Why does it have a structure? It's to emulate something else. Mm-hmm. And what would that be? Well, first and foremost, Christ. Christ in the church. Yeah. That's in in. <clears throat> you know, my heart grieves about what happened to um, blacks during the, the 40s, 50s, 60s. And, and I'm, I'm basic, basically talking about how they were viewed during the civil rights. We can, we can go pre that, absolutely. I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss that at all. But what I'm getting at here is that black families, I think there were a number of solid black families in spite of the slavery because it was their means of survival for many of them. And that was totally ripped apart by the laws of this nation. By the welfare system specifically. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'll tell you, I am so thankful. I'm so glad to see that there are a number of, of black families that have not bought into that at all. But there are so many that are living it and thinking that's the only way. And and it's not. And, and so this is this is something I want to be really keen on. And this is going to play well to the chair culture in just a moment. But you want to make sure that you evaluate the philosophy and the theology of the people who are teaching us, who are raising our children and what they're doing. Because you look at it, while while these men who started the Frankfurt School had to flee, a lot of them had to flee because they had Jewish heritage. They still brought the German philosophy with them. And we'll talk about Marx next. But before we do, I I, I do want to finish up going around the room on the chair of culture. Once you have gotten dad out of the home as LBJ's greater cities policy and the whole uh, idea of, of marrying the government for a welfare check. Once you've gotten dad out of the house, what does that do to the children? What kind of citizen does that make the children? Yeah, well, first and foremost, they've lost their spiritual leader because uh, when you read the Bible, God very specifically lays out 
the terms for the home. And first and foremost, a, the nuclear family is the foundation for, I, I don't want to say it's the foundation for faith, but it certainly was for my faith. Eventually, you know, everyone has to go and make their decision on their own. Be like, okay, this is why I believe what I believe. But that seed was planted by my grandfather. And because I had that father figure there, that seed was able to be planted. But for a lot of people that don't, it's not. So you, you lose and so who, that critical piece very quickly. Who gains control of that child's theology? The state, the public school system. Absolutely. Who, whoever can exert the influence there. And obviously, when you've got a public school system, and this is where the danger is, when you're shipping your kids, and maybe that's a strong word, but when you're putting your kids in a public school, that's, that's a tough thing to do because now you've got six, seven hours of influence that you might not approve of as a parent. And that's something that you have to look at. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, yeah that, 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 that's uh, six to eight hours a day versus an hour or two well, at church, if well, you to, go. If you go. Yeah, and well, in today's political climate, you know, a lot of politicians believe that, you know, uh, your children are actually their children, and then the teachers, because they have them for the length of time they have, they're their children too, so... Therefore, you're just transferring your sometimes children that you have to the owners of the public school system who are owners, and they're teaching them what they believe is the best because they know better than what the parents know. So, and that right there, you know, and that's. And that right there is the next question to you, the chair of politics. Okay. I want to go ahead and say, what does this do when we get rid of the dad? What does it do? It socializes the ownership of the children. children. And who's Correct. in charge? And, and what happens is, is the government takes control of the children because what happens is, is you have a family or non-family because you don't have a father in the home. The mother ends up either in a situation where she's possibly not able to take care of children or she ends up on welfare. She ends up with a number of kids for whatever reason. Uh, CPS might get called. I mean, anybody can call CPS now for any reason. They come in. It don't matter what the reason they can take your child nowadays. Because the for, government owns if, the children. If, if you raise even threatened to whip your child nowadays, corporal punishment. They take your child. Now who owns your children? CPS. They think they own your child anyways. And that right there. And that's the whole deal because why? There's not a father in the house. Correct. And you've traded that authority for the government. And that's the value Correct. to the political chair, the political system. And you, you look at it, the value you have on this earth is who you've reproduced. Who have you reproduced in Christ and physically? And also those children who are your biologicals, who you have raised up in Christ. You've given that's, your child up for a paycheck. That's your, and, and that right there is your value. That's what you lose when you start to see the world take your kids. And the church has, I'm going to say this, has tacitly allowed this 
We should have been up in arms a long time ago. And I'm not advocating violence. I'm saying uh, uh, let's, let's make sure that we are in the public square well, speaking out. You're advocating what's going on right now all across America. You've got parents that are showing up at the school board meetings and saying, this has got to stop. And it's about darn time. I'm glad. Johnny, come lately. Thank you for coming. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> power to you. Good that you're here. And then, of course, what, what incentive does the government have for this? It is an economic incentive. It is a manpower incentive that grows their power. It grows their power. Once you have- I get your vote. I get your <laughs> vote. Because I'm going to provide more for you. That's what they've created. Now, that's when they lost the, the 1960s. That's, where, that's how they changed it. And that's how you look at critical theory. Critical theory is specifically set up to change the power dynamics to the exact same philosophies that were at play in World War II. And let's be fair because we don't want to be one-sided here. It is a mindset that says, I need the government to take care of me. And so I'm willing to make these sacrifices. Yes. This is about a mindset. And how it captures well, people. This it, is not it, about. It is about race I've, too, but it's but it's just as much about class. So just to move on, though, uh, for the sake of time, we do need to move on uh, to to Marx. We also need to go to Marx, because Marx was incredibly. He was the cornerstone of critical theory, if, if you will. We have a lot of facade up and over him that's built out and created uh, extra facets. But Marx was, was really at the center. So was Nietzsche, but we don't have the time today to get to Nietzsche. Uh, but Marx was effectively hypothesizing that the people who had were exploitative of those who had not. And he wanted to criticize society or critique or break down, and, and I'm not saying criticize necessarily in a negative way, but he wanted to break it apart and deconstruct it into what would eventually become a utopia in his mind. Now, he said effectively, if, if I can sum this up, the working class was being exploited by the rich. If only the working class would rise up and take over for the rich, you could communize or socialize, depending upon how far you wanted to go, the means of production and or all wealth. And then to each, you know, their to need, they each they're given that that sort of that that sort of uh, philosophy. But he he kind of had an interesting he had an interesting thing with his mother. I don't know if any of you have that quote. Uh, what Karl Mar Marx's mother uh, said about him. What was her name again? Uh, Mrs. Marx. Miss Marx. <laughs> The quote, I think it's the, I'll tell you what. The, the quote is if only Carl had made capital instead of writing about it. The quote. And that the man actually suffered from welts on his body because he wouldn't bathe himself. I, I, I want to be careful not to get the ad hominem here, but let's just talk about the kind of person that, that Marx was. He was someone who was selfish. He wanted other people's income. He did not want to have to work for it. He wanted simply to be able to autocratically speak and have it occur. Uh, there's a really good article from the Panama City News Herald that just, it, I was reading, and it was just a perfect compendium of things that Marx had said about other races. And uh, I'm going to ask y'all to not use the N-word here, but it is quoted because it is directly taken out of his writing. Uh, Miss uh, Miss Nikki, do you have that uh, that first about the when unite when the U.S. annexed California after the Mexican American War? Quote. Um, I went down. I got it. Okay, you got go it. ahead. 
Yeah, he. Um, you get the next one. He said, "Without violence, nothing is ever accomplished in history." And keep- then he asked, "Is it misfortunate that magnificent California was seized from the lazy Mexicans who did not know what to do with it?" That right there tells us a lot about what he thinks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to go too much further down that one. Uh, Mr. Charlie, if you can read this and make sure you avoid the explicatives, sir, in 1887. Yeah. So in 1887, uh, Paul Lafargue, who was Marx's son-in-law, was a candidate for a council seat in a Paris district that contained a zoo. Engels claimed that Paul had one-eighth or one-twelfth N-word blood. In an April 80, uh, 1887 letter to Paul's wife, Engels wrote, being in his quality as an N, a, a degree nearer to the rest of the animal kingdom than the rest of us, he is undoubtedly the most appropriate representative of that district. That's horrendous. I mean, so let, let, let's be really clear here. Uh, when you're talking about a philosopher, it's important to know what they think about, you know, the general worldview is critical, especially when they have divested themselves of another founding document. And can I just interject here real quickly, John Arthur, from, from the chair of philosophy, philosophy means the love of wisdom. I would challenge anybody listening to this podcast right now, ask yourself this question. Would you want to embrace the ideas of this kind of a philosopher? I mean, just think about it for a minute. It doesn't, most people, I would dare say 99.9% of the people on the left, in the woke crowd, if they heard of that kind of stuff, if they had not studied Marx, they would denounce it. Correct. That's just a thing, Charlie. And and, 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 and and there you go. And, and so that right there, I, I just want to pick up on that. And let's go a step further. Uh, halfway through that paragraph uh, from the uh, Herald Chair of Culture, Daniel, uh, Marx's anti-Semitic views were no secret. In 1884, what did he publish? Yeah, so he published an essay titled On the Jewish Question. He wrote that the worldly religion of Jews was... Help me out on that word. Huckstering. Huckstering. Okay, that's what I just wanted to make sure. Uh, <laughs> and that the Jews' God was money. Marx's view of the Jews is that they could only be emancipated, eth- or they could only become an emancipated ethnicity or culture when they no longer existed. Well, well, well. I wonder how Hitler got his ideas. So, and that was back in 1844. Yeah, that's in the mid-1800s. So next time... People tell you that you want to listen to the German philosophers for their wisdom and for their philosophical insight. Ask them which ones. Hello. And maybe figure out what they believed. Because we see what the philosophy did. And by the way, even though Marx was the cause of so many family members' death, a lot of the people in the Frankfurt School guess what they still espoused. Mm-hmm. Marxist theory yes. because A, they weren't paying attention or B, the sin, the value of that sin was too precious to let go of. I suspect both. So chair of, <laughs> chair of politics, once you start to see someone who is effectively 
devoid of a, of a tie to the value of the image bearer of God and the freedoms that that image bearer innately holds, um, what, what happens to the politics? What, what, what is the government empowered to do? Say that again, John Arthur. When, when you have a philosophy that has gripped our politics and that philosophy is devoid of the concept of we are all equally created, what does that empower or embolden those who hold office to do? Typically what happens with politicians... Uh... Greed, gluttony, greed as far as power and money, um, bad elections. One could even uh, say genocide. You could say um, as we saw, uh, bad it is what we've seen in, say, what, a year ago? Or what could even happen in the future? Or what has been happening in past elections, as far as we know. Well, look well, at China. Let's go to China. Uh, look at look at other. Yeah, for instance, North Korea. For instance, let's I look mean, at look what's treat, going on there. Let's look at how they treat their people, how they treat their folks on the ground. But, if you want to, if you want to really know where the rubber heats the meets the road, yes, they'll they'll. It starts with the corruption of the culture. But Venezuela once the politics has has sway. You now have the ability to kill off political dissidents, well, and you, when those political dissidents are ethnically connected to a culture and a belief or a religious belief system, yeah. then you have ethnic cleansing. Look what's going on with the Ujiers, the Uyghurs. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's. I mean, that is atrocious there. And you could go to a few other countries and see that exact same kind of thing. You know, we. Ha uh, you look yeah. at Venezuela. Uh, a strong country uh, in, on the, an economic level in the, in the world stage. Uh, and then all of a sudden they start becoming religious. I'm, I'm not religious, I'm sorry, but socialist. <laughs> and then, and, and of course, the uh, uh, Roman Catholic Church had a, 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 a big power in Venezuela just because of the amount of people that but, were Roman Catholic, you don't see their influence real heavy in Venezuela as much. But I think you need, and let me just jump on this, John Arthur. I, I think the critical thing to, to look at here is you're talking about going from a society that embraced the belief that all man is created equal, and now you've ripped that out. Where does that go? I, I think what it is, is you look at uh, a, a pack of dogs. Does a pack of dogs go without a leader? No. Some, someone, something is going to step up. And that's what happens when you rip out well, this issue of having an, an equal, uh, well, it's all not, men are created It's equal. not just a pack of, dog, pack of dogs with a leader. You have uh, prey and predator. Correct. <laughs> Is what yeah. you end up and, with. And, and that's really where, where the rubber meets the road. As I was saying a moment ago, where you start to see the human cost of this divorce yeah. from biblical 
philosophy and theology. Once you allow, once the culture has allowed these thoughts into their mind, you now start to see the human loss. And and again, you you want to talk about the human value. Uh, this is from the Black Book of Communism. Uh, 94 million communist citizens were killed in the 20th century by communistic governance. 65 million in the People's Republic of China. Uh, 20 million in the Soviet Union. 2 million in Cambodia. 2 million in North Korea. 1.7 in Africa. 1.5 in Afghanistan. 1 million in the communist states of Eastern Europe. A million in Vietnam. 150,000 in Latin America. 10,000 deaths resulting from the actions of international communist movement and communist parties uh, not in power. Once you divorce the innate value of man, people say, why not let critical theory come into our church? Why not let critical theory come into our, to our, our politics? We've seen where this leads over and over again. It's not harmless. People might say, well, it's, it's nice that we have this sort of social justice. I don't want to get too far ahead into that yet, but I just want to point to the Frankfurt School, where it came from. Mm -hmm. And we see what it's done, what this philosophy has done that has grown up and it's been, it's been rooted in uh, Marxist humanism. We see all of the 19th century secular humanists come up, some of them, some of them with not bad ideas, like you said, Snicky, not bad questions. Questions that need to be answered. They, uh, they have answers. Exactly. And, and, and we have a book for that. That's why the church, do, I mean, the church does not need to embrace critical race theory. The, the, the church has a book on how all humans are to be treated and loved. Now, the problem, and you can find it in our past in the church, is they did not always embrace the truth of the scripture, and they did cause and, and a lot of today. injustice. Exactly. Critical God theory. That's what we need. But this is not really an essay on Marxism or, or Freud, uh, Freudism, if you will. Uh, Notify Webster. Freud, I think Freudism is a word, but it's a, it's a critique on critical theory. Yeah. You see this, these recurring themes in critical uh, race theory, in critical gender theory, um, where we see these philosophers from the Frankfurt School really start to become agitated is in the idea that things are working well. People are happy. And the way they say it is actually really quite, quite amusing to me. Uh, Mr. Mr. Charlie, or actually we'll start with Miss, Miss Nikki. I don't know if you have that quote from uh, Adorno and uh, Horkheimer uh, from 1973, but the consumers and the workers and the employees, do, do you have that quote? I see that. Is it at the very beginning here? Okay. Yes, go ahead and go for it because I'm, I'm looking and I'm... Fair enough. The consumers are the workers and the employees, uh, the farmers and lower middle class. Capitalist production so confines them, body and soul, that they fall helpless victims to what is offered them. Can pa Pause for the laugh track. Right. Okay. Let's, let's, let's just keep going. As naturally as the ruled always took the morality imposed upon them more seriously than did the rulers themselves, they deceived the, ma uh, the deceived masses are today captivated by the myth of success, the myth of success, even more than the successful are. So the morality 
man, I, I, I want to get the chair of theology's opinion here, the morality imposed upon them. We're talking about a Western culture and society that is based on the moral or, or the natural law, which ultimately comes from the moral law of God. I, I'm just trying to wonder what he was looking at. I mean, that was the dream of this American dream to own your own property, maybe have your own business, your own family, your own things, your own land. I mean, that's what's unhealthy about that. It, it, it's not the structure of utopia where you don't have to work as hard. You only have four hour, eight hour work weeks because the automation should take over and you should be able to maintain a certain quality of life with the automation that was occurring. These are thoughts, these are not new conversations about automation making it so that people could live a free life. It started off with the slaves, with devaluing the lives of the slaves. Well, and and, the and I should also be a millionaire. And so it, 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 it's, 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 it's that asinine. So let's continue because we're almost out of time here. But let's go ahead and continue. Uh, immovably, they insist on the very ideology which enslaves them. The misplaced love of the common people for the wrong which has done them is a greater force than the cunning of the authorities. This is the school of Frankfurt. I'm, I'm very baffled. By this. But I was raised that you work hard and at the end of the day you feel good about what you do and your satisfaction and, and joy in your hard work. But, of course, we have to critique those because they come from the Judeo-Christian ethic, mm -hmm. and that must be torn down. And that's what's setting us up for next week. I was just going to say, idleness is the devil's workshop, because when you have less to do, then there's more to distract you. Absolutely. And so I want to go oh, over to the chair correct. of philosophy for a moment, uh, just setting up for, for you here. It, this is... This is exactly what we're fighting today. They didn't hide this. This isn't a conspiracy. This was a published book in 1973. And this is where people were going to school. Our professors and our teachers were reading this tripe. It was a church that didn't have a church look. It's a, it's a different belief system, totally. And it's totally anti-God. It's pro human will yes. it's pro yes. i am god i set the standard i'm the master of my own destiny there are a number of biblical characters that would totally concur with what you just said and also agree that they failed yeah absolutely and so to the chair of culture kind of want to get your your summing ideas here and remarks our humanist ideas only work if they'll just let us enslave them again Oh my gosh. That, oh that, my that, gosh. That, so so what, what do they do? They make it culturally not only acceptable, but mandatory yeah. to be divergent from the Judeo-Christian work ethic. The thing that is enslaving them, the morality that they have this great love for, the inerrancy of the Bible. You, you want to study some interesting stuff? You want to talk about the attack on the King James Bible? Oh yeah. The occult specifically said... We have to divest them of the notion of this inerrancy of the scripture so that we can start to flood people's minds with doubt. Yes. So culturally, what do they do? They push people into being deviant or divergent, don't they? But what kind of effect does that have on the culture? Well, first off, 
anytime you step away from this mentality of I don't I don't serve a higher being, aka God. Uh, I am he or she or Z Zem and Z. It, yes. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, that that world melts melts my brain. I'm gonna try not to think about it. But anytime you you derive that that power from God and give it to yourself, I am the master of my own destiny. You you see what that happens all throughout history. I mean, Hitler is a very prominent example. Anytime man is given the option to do wrong, he chooses to do wrong every time, every time with without that. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? What's the term? Not the restraining for? influence. There you go. There you go. That's a good way to the restraining influence of God. Man will inevitably choose selfish desires, and when man is starting to choose selfish desires, chair politics. I just want to throw this over to you, really quick, to wrap up uh, your thoughts. When man is allowed to vote himself money, or to vote for the death or destruction people that have become culturally unacceptable what ensues i will vote myself more money and i don't mind voting for other people to die i will weaponize the government i will mm. weaponize the government and vote other people to die but not myself and that and right- that right there is what the politicians do for political wars they vote in office and vote other people to go fight their political battles for money in their pockets so they can get more in their pockets. Absolutely. it's not a reason or any reason that's influencing our country. Absolutely. So, and that right there, again, is the economic value. You'll see that they want to take away the inheritance, the understanding that you are made in the image of God. You're an image bearer. You have this. You have a telos, a purpose. You were made to work. You're going to work in heaven, but you're going to love it. You're going to love every minute of serving God in the role that you were created. That is the utopia. But Satan wants to take that away. He wants to take away the image of Christ in the church. He wants to take away the image of you as this being that God loves, that God created as his image bearer. He wants to take away the protection of the government. And of course, he wants to take away what's most valuable, your time, your energy, and your soul, and and your posterity. So understand that critical theory, social justice, we're going to talk about that next time, Uh, gender theory, all of these things are aimed specifically at atomizing the Judeo-Christian worldview. They are critiques of the Judeo-Christian worldview specifically set up to issue in Satan's objectives and goals. Do not be deceived by them. Looking forward to talking to you guys next time about uh, social justice, but for now, we got to sign off. Uh, If you liked today's uh, show, go ahead, uh, like, comment, share, subscribe, all those great things. If you didn't, um, stay around anyway. Throw some angry comments. Maybe, maybe we can change your mind after all. Uh, with that said, uh, we are now approximately just over 30,000 downloads on the podcast itself. Thank you all so much for your listenership. Uh, it is gratifying and we hope and humbling. Hopefully, hopefully we've uh, 
done a good job, provided something that has uh, entertained you, but more importantly, provided information, context, and good theology. So uh, with that, love y'all so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 All right. All right. If you're still here, we put you to sleep or you did indeed enjoy it going around the room. Uh, which of the 19th century philosophers do you think were the most deleterious to our society? Repeat answers are fine. Chair would, theology. I'm, I'm going to go with Freud. You're going to go with Freud? Mm-hmm. What about you, chair of philosophy? I think it's a tie between... Marx and Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche. I, I I think Nietzsche. You took mine, Nietzsche. Yeah. But what about you? Seconded. 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 Okay. I'd say uh, probably Nietzsche and Freud. Freud did a lot of damage in uh, the family. The family. Family. Dynamic. Family unit. A big lot of damage, and that kind of absolutely. Nietzsche did did some, and it combined really yep was a major death blow to western culture i would say nietzsche was pretty serious all the answers above pretty solid with that said put in the comment section down below who you thought was the most deleterious and uh why i i would love to hear some of those answers i'd love to hear that That, thank you so much uh love you have a wonderful week Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye. bye bye